0: I am with the legend, that is James Oswald. James, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, Denzel. Is that legend enough, as in I don't really exist or, or just um, really famous? Uh,
0: but, but, but no, the, the latter. You really, you well, you exist in my mind and I've read the Sir Benfro books, so I know. Not many have, but there you go. Well, that's a great pity because they're, they're very, very good indeed and I've enjoyed every one of them. Thank you. Um, Now, we're doing Spooks today in a slightly different fashion, so um, if you have quality issues, bear with us. I mean, I hear this in the Today programme every day, bad lines and things, so James and I can do it too, and so far the line's fine. Now, James first came to prominence in 2013, am I right, James? Yeah, I guess 2012
1: was was the self-publishing thing, but um, I really hit the big time in 2013, yeah.
0: Yeah, you you did, and you did so in a way that was kind of pioneering at the time, in that you began in a sort of self-published way, if I'm right in saying that, and then were yeah. then you were taken up by a by a Masufith publisher. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, well, I, I'd, um, I'd written, actually, the first two Inspector McLean books quite some time before, but uh, I hadn't managed to get a publisher for them. I uh, They were they were both shortlisted for the CWA debut dagger back in 2007 and 2008. Wow. Uh, but the publishers didn't really like the way that I'd mixed a little bit of creepy supernatural stuff in with with what is essentially a police investigation a police procedural story. Um, so they they all liked the writing but weren't prepared to take the books on. And so I I put the first two out as ebooks in 2012 <clears throat> thinking I might, you know, sell a couple of hundred copies and yeah, enough to buy myself a couple of nice bottles of wine or something. Um <laughs> But uh, they completely took off. Um, mostly, I, I kind of i I lucked upon the idea uh, of giving away the first book for, in the series for free um for a little while to see yeah. what would happen and um three hundred and fifty thousand people thought it was a good a good deal
0: <laughs> so um sure. uh, and 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 then quite a lot of people started buying the second one um yeah. at
1: that at that point um the publishers all started to take a bit more notice and we uh-huh. we had a bit had a bit of a a bidding war between the big publishers and penguin. Um, snapped me up, as they say.
0: I remember. Uh, I remember. I mean, it, it was a, a very innovative way to do things. I mean, because I don't think if somebody had done it before you, I don't, I don't think there were many that had done it before you. I think there's a few people who'd done, were, were having big success on the Kindle then, because it was all new and shiny. Yes, it was. And, 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 and there, were, there were
1: quite a lot of, of very good books out there, and they weren't completely lost in the in the oceans of rubbish at that point so you could find some good stuff and there was a bit of word of mouth going on as well which helped
0: <clears throat> yeah i think i think we both know that um, kindle has changed exponentially in the last um, even i mean we both come around at the same time uh, in different ways and kindle was a very very different beast
1: yeah it, it's, it has changed a lot uh, and I mean Amazon have got a much more professional with their own their APUB stuff um so they you know they're they're putting a lot of money behind their own authors as it were um so um, and fair play to them, I'm not, I, I i don't dislike amazon they they kick started my writing career, so I owe them a great deal yeah um, but it is it is different now uh, and I've, as I'm finding because i'm I have self published again some of the books. In where well, I haven't been able to get an American publisher for them,
0: um, I've put them out there to stop them being pirated as much as anything else. Good idea. Um, and it is a, it is a,
1: a, a, a different beast.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I, when we started off, I think there were something like maybe three or four books on the monthly deal, and nowadays it's like eight hundred of them or something like that. You yeah. Know, mm. You know, and the daily deal was much well, it seemed much easier to to get, and everything was there were fewer books, and that was the that was the main issue, wasn't it?
1: that was the thing yeah and i i mean i was very fortunate i i i, a, I hit it at exactly the right <clears> time but i had a couple of really lucky breaks i i was picked up by um i'm trying to remember the name of the this one of these companies that does book promotions uh and they charge money for it now but they picked me up for free book, um uh, that's the one, BookBub, the early days of BookBub, they put me up, um, put my um, my book on, on their, their, their email, and I sold 20,000 copies in a weekend,
0: wow. um,
1: just on the back of that, um, and I, it didn't cost me a, a, a penny, and I hadn't even gone to them and said, you know, will you do something for me? They literally just picked me up because I was, you know... There was a little bit of noise behind my books or something. I don't know. And, yeah, and It all it all built into a huge, you know, it built upon itself, um, quite out of control.
0: I I remember reading very jealously that you had something like ten manuscripts in the shed, and and I was desperately trying to meet a deadline from I think it was my third book at that time. And I thought, you lucky swine, James Oswald, you've got on them all the in the hand. shed.
1: That, uh, you know I, I, I was first published and the, the, <clears throat> the only only piece of writing that I had published um, you know professionally before then was a comic script in 1993 so it basically took me 20 years um, oh. to, to break through as it were so yeah, the old saying that it takes 10 years to become an overnight success I'm actually quite <clears throat> slow
0: yeah yeah you're, you're you're behind the curve yeah uh, um, but having said that, you became massively successful with the McLean series of books um, and set in Edinburgh. Did you have any pause for thought about setting them in Edinburgh? Because I think that people tend to, or did tend to think at that time, that, that there was only one man in town in Edinburgh, and that was going to mm. be John Rebus.
1: Um, well, funnily enough... Um no, although I, I had I had uh, of the the little crime fiction that I'd read, um, I had read a lot of Ian Rankin's books, uh, but I actually came up with a character for. Inspector McLean, back in the early nineteen nineties, um, when when I was writing comics, and he first appeared in a comic script that I wrote um, on spec for Two Thousand AD, which they, they didn't buy. No. Uh, and um, I revisited that story um, for the, Book Eight in the series of Gathering Dark. But so nothing is ever wasted. But no. I, I that's why I set it in. I'm going to set that book in Edinburgh because at the time I was living in Aberdeen, uh, and I wanted a I wanted an urban setting for my sort of of ghostly crime story, and the only two cities that I knew at all well were Aberdeen and Edinburgh. So yeah. um, it had to be Edinburgh, and um, and it suited that what I was doing as well because I mean Edinburgh is is such a spooky city. It's got all so many different layers and underground,
0: really you know,
1: buried streets and all sorts of ghosts and goopy things going on. So it, it it lends itself to that kind of story. Um, and I mean, I I was never writing with a always in the back of my mind I wanted to be massively successful I but I was writing because I enjoy writing and I I love the puzzle of, of working as you start off with a couple of sentences and, and you end up with 120 thousand words and and I love that sort of working stuff out as I go along so to me it was I never really thought well am I treading on somebody else's toes using no. it no. and, I, and, and I never looked for any particular comparison to Ian Rankin obviously I got one very nicely from the newspapers early on yes. um, which which my publishers now insist on putting on the cover of every single one of my books. Oh yes. But, um, <laughs> you tell me about it.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think this. If you if you liked so and so and loved, you'll love Denzel Myrick. I and I think find mm. like that really annoying um, because it's kind of
1: it's annoying for us as the writers, but but it's actually really useful for the people picking up the books um, and, and having the new Ian Rankin written on the cover.
0: Um, it's not doing me any harm. No, not at all. I mean, that, that's absu- absolutely right. I mean, yeah. Ian was, of course... Like me, you didn't read, I don't think, a great deal of crime fiction prior to writing it. Um, and I was the same. I I hadn't read a great deal of crime fiction, but what I had read was was um, um, William McIlvaney and Ian Rankin many years uh-huh. before. And, of course, these two... Guys, and along with Val McDermott have really been the kind of touchstone of what has become that terrible thing, Tartan Noir. Yeah, now there's a phrase that, that,
1: that annoys me, but um, there you go. <laughs> you <know. laughs>
0: yes, I, I don't like it either. I mean, I, I think if you pi- if you pigeonhole things, everyone expects the same thing every time, and and clearly, um, your books and your books do have a USP which is different from many Scottish crime fiction books in that the McLean books have an element of the supernatural.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: And how, how did you first come <laughs> across doing that? Well, that it goes back to
1: that comic script, which was... I mean, Tony McLean wasn't the lead character in that comic script. It was a it was a ghost story, basically, and the ghost was the lead character. Sure. A chap who gets killed right at the beginning and doesn't work out that he's been killed until the <laughs> end. Uh, um, and Tony McLean was the only policeman who could see him. Uh, And I love this idea of having a, you know, a policeman, a detective who's this, you know, trained to be completely rational. And what does he do when he's faced with the irrational? And you know, how do you how do you solve the crime when it's a ghost that's done it? And how do you write the report? Uh, So I love that idea. And yeah, when I first started writing crime fiction, um, and which was, you know, not that long ago, um, in terms of my writing career, Hmm. um, I thought what what have i got you know i I had read i'd I'd read stuart mcbride's books because i knew stuart from my aberdeen years and he was the one who actually got me to start writing crime fiction yes and and i'd read Ian rankin's books because my dad was a big fan and they were always lying around and i'd read um a few others i I went to an agatha christie phase when i was younger as everyone does so i i'd I'd read a bit of crime fiction but it wasn't my mainstay i'm a, a fantasy you know in yeah. sci-fi, mostly. Um, so I was looking around, and I thought, well, I've got this character, this policeman who i created, and I'd used him in a couple of other stories. Just whenever I needed a, a policeman, I'd uh-huh. bring him back on again. And I thought, well, let's give him his own book and see what happens. And So that's why the, you know, the, the, the supernatural stuff came out of that, um, rather than my sitting down and thinking, well, everybody else is writing straight crime fiction. I'm going to be really cussed and do it differently. Um, yes. It just kind of... I, 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 I happened upon it by
0: accident. Well, I, I kind of did the same thing only with humour. I mean, I, I sometimes refer to my books as crime Um because I'd, I'd read a lot, you know, I researched a wee bit before I started off writing the, the first Whiskey from Small Glasses, uh, and I realised that, you know, there was room for different takes on the, on, on the subject, uh, and I felt that, that a bit of comedy, a bit of humour, um, and to set it in a kind of a quirky, unusual place would give you a kind of USP and I think you did the same thing with the supernatural element.
1: Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's room for, this is why I don't like the phrase tartan noir, because as you say, it's, it's oh. like it's two words and it pigeonholes such a vast scope of different <clears> writing, <throat> you know, from the really dark gritty stuff that Stuart writes for instance, um, albeit you know, laced with, with belly laughs humour as well sometimes, yeah. and, you know, right through to the you know, Henge Macbeth and stuff like that and it all gets lumbered under the same thing um and it's it, it's not really um but you know we we love our we love our little labels to put on things
0: yeah and i, I, I agree with you it's not always a handy i suppose for a bookshop or for a an online yeah. vendor these things are great marketing tools but i always feel somehow that that uh, perhaps you know it's just a bit too easy and it's a bit too neat yeah. and and i think you're, there is that problem where people buy something by james oswald or by denzel manik and think they're going to get an ian rankin or a or a McDermott and they're not going to get that. They're going to get something different.
1: Well, hopefully they'll enjoy what they get. And, they, uh, and, I, and I don't, you know, I don't want to be reading the same book over and over again. Yeah, you know, I, I want to mix stuff <coughs> up and, 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 and see new new takes on on stories and stuff. So, I mean, I don't really. I, I, we're, I'm, I'm making a bit too much of a complaint about it. But I don't mind, you know, being called Tartan war because it's it does sell books. It it, it, it is a, it is a useful. Sometimes it gets just. To
0: death a bit, um, yeah. I, I that's mean,
1: pretty noir, isn't it? bludgeoning
0: something to death. Yeah, I, I mentioned, I mentioned my my distaste of it once at the Edinburgh Festival during a an event, and there was an audible gasp in the room. I mean, you can't say that; that's not right. As though I was, you know, trying to decapitate Mister Mister Rankin or something. I mean, I I don't think he particularly likes it either. Um, I'm, I don't think anybody. I, 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 in fact, I've yet to meet. Any anyone that really likes the term, but we'll move on because people are fed up with tartan noir now, and that's banging on about it. You, you then you carried on with the Inspector McLean series. I've always imagined my my Brian Scott and your Grumpy Bob sitting in a bar somewhere, in between Edinburgh and Glasgow, because they're very similar characters, and he's a great foil for McLean. Mm,
1: he, he's great. I love writing Grumpy Bob because he's he's one of these these characters who. Um, never appears to be doing any work but somehow the work <laughs> is always done and uh, yeah he's, he's always finding a little office to go and hide in you know, somewhere an unused office that he can catch 40 winks, I think he's he's probably based on, on, on the Womble or Inoko. Um
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh he was my favourite <laughs> But I yeah, I think they'd
1: yeah, they, they get, they get on great because they could just, you know, they, they could sit and nurse their pints and, 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 and chat about how terrible things are and how police Scotland has come in and, and, and how much better it was when it was Strathclyde versus Lothian and Borders.
0: I think, I think that would have to be a very, very big cupboard in reality <laughs> <laughs> if we, we brought in real police officers because there'd be lots <laughs> wanting to come into that cupboard and complain about police Scotland. Yeah. But, but that's, that's another story entirely. Yeah, I think us, us writers complain about too I'd, I'd written
1: the first two inspector mclean books and i sat down to write book three and suddenly it was oh it isn't loathing and borders anymore i haven't got a clue how anything works <coughs> and neither did they which was which, which actually basically which
0: um, was very handy i
1: did two or three books of people not really knowing what they were supposed to be doing um, and, and,
0: and the shocking thing is they still don't know what they're doing so that's even worse <laughs> we, we had a we had an incident along the road from we just stayed in loamanside and we did an incident, a terrible traffic accident that occurred, and a, a young man lost his life. Yeah. And the 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 they did a around the house thing, you know, um, interviewing neighbours and to see if anybody had seen or heard anything. Uh, and it was a guy from Edinburgh City Centre who came to our house, and I said, if you don't mind me asking, um, why have they, why? All the way from Edinburgh City Centre to investigate this, and he says, um, "You tell me," <laughs> uh, which is my first contact with. It was early on in the days of Police Scotland. I thought, "Good grief, how things have changed, um, yeah. and not for the better." I, I don't think making anything bigger is going to make it better. I think yeah,
1: you know, they're looking for you know for cost savings, obviously, and, and and economies of scale and things, but but you lose the. Community policing aspect of it—the you know the bobbies with their beat and they know the people on their beat and they know if someone's missing, to go and look for them or whatever. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I heard was about um, you know they—they they were sending a lot of Strathclyde officers over to Edinburgh um, right, and the east because they you know they got too many people or whatever. However, the, the, the scheduling works, and stop and search is a bit—you know—it's because of knife crime is a bit more of a thing over on the west than it is on the east, and and and, and the. So all these officers were coming over to Edinburgh and stopping and searching people and they were getting really pissed off about it because <laughs> that doesn't happen in Edinburgh. Uh-uh. Uh, I don't know it's, it's, it's not quite as, as, as cut and glide and simple as that but it's, it's, it's something that, you know, the, the policing does happen in different ways in hmm. different areas and you can't just pluck someone from Inverness and drop them in, you know, in the middle oh. of Glasgow and oh. expect them to know what's going on.
0: Well, well, uh, well, as a former member of South Clyde's finest, I think it would, you should have more South Clyde police officers Across there. And, I mean in fact I've got an apocryphal tale. I mean I, I was in the back of a taxi, um, not long after Police Scotland came into being and this said my taxi driver, he says, Oh yeah, where are you from? I says, Well, and, you know, i explained I was from just outside Glen side inside blah blah. He says, Ah, right, yeah and what do you do I says, I'm a crime writer, I used to be in the police blah blah blah. He said, Ah, do you know what they're calling the the police or in by now? And I said, No. He says, "A eh, Glasgow East <laughs> Which I thought was volumes. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think that's sport volumes about how he felt about the whole situation. Uh, anyhow, now so you've carried, carried on and are still carrying on um, with the Maclean novels. We're about to discuss your latest one in a short while, but you had a, a we moved to a, a Sir Benfro novels. Now,
1: yeah, uh, and well, I detect
0: I- this is what your pas- where your passion lies. Yeah, I'd actually, to be fair, I wrote the first three
1: novels before I wrote any of the McLean novels, so I, I'd written them. I, I actually had an agent trying to, and I, you know, I'd got a, an agent in the fantasy um fantasy world as it were not a fantasy agent but you know what I mean she, she, she did she did exist <laughs> uh, and she'd been trying to sell them but um hadn't really had much success and I'd written three of what I thought was going to be a trilogy but was growing into something a bit longer cool. uh, so I hadn't finished the story and I, it, it occurred to me because the yeah you know, there was no point writing book four until I had a publisher for the series um because you know i could end up writing a million words and and never get it published or whatever so that's when i, I kind of switched to, to writing the McLean books just as a kind of break from the from the fantasy books yes. um but um then after i you know penguin picked up the the, the the crime books um they they took off spectacularly well and i was just having a, a, a a, a boozy lunch with my publisher one my editor one day, and he said, well, have you written anything else, James? And I said, well, I've got this fantasy series, which I'd, I'd quite like to finish someday. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he said, oh, we publish a bit of fantasy. I'd love to read it. I didn't think he was being serious. I thought he was just being nice, but yeah. he kept on badgering for, the, for, for them. So I sent him the three books that I'd written. Um, which between them added up to about <clears throat> half a million words, and he read them in a weekend, wow. and got back to me and said, "I want to, I want to publish these," um, and they, you know, they they did a really nice job of publishing them. They did, um, but it, um, it it put me in a bit of a quandary because I just agreed, I would just signed a new contract to write three more McLean books at to basically delivering one every six months and then they turned around and said oh and we want we want um you know, the, the last two books in this series in the next two years as well
0: <laughs> and
1: so i kind of yeah the end of that i was i was a little bit um mentally um frazzled. Yeah, absolutely frazzled yeah I... particularly given that the last one um the first draft of the last book in that series, The Obsidian Throne, was about 190,000 words. And I, that, then when I edited the first draft, I cut out about 70,000 words and added another 50,000 words. It's so great. that nearly killed me. I can imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, all this not forgetting that you are a working farmer.
1: Yeah, I think this is when I started to neglect the farm a little bit um, and I, I have actually cut the numbers, the livestock numbers and things right down And, and, and but you can tell you go, you go walking on the hill and all the fences need fixing and, and as the gorse is getting out of control because I've, <laughs> I've been neglecting all the little jobs that
0: don't necessarily need to be done straight away There, um, there are some down in Kintyre who would say that's what Paul McCartney's farms are like um, or, or were like at one point because he notoriously didn't ever shear his sheep because he thought it was cruel yeah <laughs> uh, um and the and the sort of, you know how the way that the, the, the coat kind of the hangs off them when they've not been sheared in time and things and, mm. um god love paul mccartney what what, what i nice i'm surprised that he didn't just you know
1: own the farm and have a man farm it for him but
0: he uh, did I eventually guess. he did he, uh, in the course yeah. of time he did but i think when he came just um post beetle years uh the early 70s um I think they were just living as a small family unit in the middle of nowhere and wanting to be left alone and that was the way they... they and he, he gradually acquired farms round about, the main farm that he'd bought, and so he still has a quite a large chunk of land in Kintyre, um, but I don't think he, he's there as often as he was when he was married. I think Linda was the one who really, really loved it down there, though he did a lot for the town. He, I'll not knock Paul McCartney in any way, he... he they gave money freely to things like they, they kept the picture house going and various other projects. And so, Annie, Annie wrote My Love Kintyre, which brought um, uh, fame and fortune to the town for a wee while. Uh, and I was a young kid at the time, and it was most welcome. Um, now, so you, you, you Sir ben, I'll stay in the Sir Ben for vibe here because I enjoyed them so much. And then, so you've written these books quite a long time ago. And then well, arrives I
1: wrote the first three quite a long time ago, and then I wrote the last two um, in 2014 and 2015, I think it was. So yeah, yeah fairly recently.
0: And then arrives um, on television, but because they've been in out in, in books for a while, then arrives Game of Thrones. How did that make you feel?
1: Um, not, I, mean, I, I don't really consider them to be similar as it were i mean no. game of thrones is really is grim dark fantasy it's uh and it's um yeah and, and I, I i read the first game of thrones book and really enjoyed it uh, and then I looked at the because my, my partner loves them and has read all of them and I looked at this long stack of ever increasingly thick books on the bookshelves <laughs> and I looked at how many books I had to write let alone anything else and I, so I haven't read any of the the rest of them um, yet because I just haven't had the time yes. and I, I did wa- I did watch some of the series on, on, on the telly and, and, and it was, you know the early series certainly seemed to be quite well made but again I just didn't have time to keep up with it and it's kind of, part. it's finished now, so there's
0: no point starting. Well, I, it, well I, I I watched but, it right to the end, but I think that there's going to be a, a, a sting in the tail because George R.R. R. Martin isn't, finished with the last book yet.
1: Yeah, he's going to end it differently to how yeah. it on the telly. I hope and so. So he can, he can annoy a, you know, a completely different set of people.
0: I do love what, I mean, I, I haven't obviously I haven't seen the last series of, of Game of Thrones, but I have
1: seen on social media the the, the furore of the, of, of the, the fans who yeah. are all complaining that it wasn't finished the way they wanted it to be finished and how
0: dare they, you know, that their lives are ruined. And I, I was chuckle <laughs> <laughs>
1: you when know, people get upset about But, I mean, fair play to, you know, Peter Jackson doing the Lord of the Rings movies and The Hobbit and, and, and Game of Thrones has you know, brought fantasy around because it was really in the doldrums for a long time. Oh, yeah, yes. no, Nobody was reading it. It was very, very difficult to, you know, even interest a publisher in looking at your stuff. Um, but now, you know, it's, it's, it's had a bit of a renaissance and there's some really, really good fantasy authors I mean, out there I, I, now.
0: I I remember yeah. mentioning to my previous agent about. She says, "Well, what you know?" I said, "I'd like to do something as along with daily, you know, as keep daily going, but do something else." And she goes, "Well, what do you have in mind? Another police series?" I said, uh, "Oh no!" I said, "I thought said, about." I said, "What about some fantasy?" Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I never asked her again. Um, but but no, I think the Game of Thrones. I mean, these series. It's It, it must be. Near nigh impossible to finish them to the satisfaction of the majority of people because a nobody wants them to end, um, and b like the Sopranos, which is one of my touchstones in terms of television. You know that famous fade to black at the end of the Sopranos that 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 divided people huge and still does. Uh,
1: yeah, it's great if you can do something and the people are talking about it and the longer people talk about it, the more people will hear about it and, and, and go, go and watch it and, and stuff. And that's, you know, that's, um, that's what it should be about, really. Um, absolutely. You can, you know, uh, and I'm, yeah, I yeah, I, I probably get around to watching the rest of gamers' phones, but I mean, there are some other, because I, I watched The Witcher recently when that came yes.
0: out. Yes, what do you think uh, I, of that? I, I kind of enjoyed
1: it. It was very confusing and, hmm. and um, the time jumps and everything were a bit weird. Um, but I, I, I did enjoy it. It had a sort of similar vibe, I thought, to um, the old, you know, the mid 80s fantasy movies they did, like Conan the Barbarian and Red Sonja and did. things like that, which which I loved because they're so cheesy. Um, <laughs> and I love a little bit of cheesiness in my fan. Well, I love cheese, but, uh, you know, I like cheesy well, yeah Well, now,
0: now you've <laughs> hit upon a real thing we have in common. Uh, not only crime fiction and fantasy, but cheese. But, yes. And you will be lamenting, like me, the, the the end of the Campbelltown Creamery. Did you know yes. about that? Yes.
1: Because they were trying to save it, but then they not managed to.
0: Or, or, no, no. Uh, first milk pulled out and uh, pulled the rug uh, from under them and they were left cheeseless. Uh, and in all seriousness, it's been a huge blow to the that, along with... There's a big one. wooden Towers manufacturer there, and and yeah. you know, alongside the creamery closing, it's a huge blow to Campbelltown, and and I'm absolutely devastated for all those who've who've lost their jobs and, and the farms that will suffer as a consequence too. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's a it's a, it's a nightmare, particularly that of the creamery, um, because <clears> you know, anywhere if you're going to get go, well for it, if you're trying to get another job, you've, you've got. To, if you can't get a job in Campbelltown, it's a long way to the next place, isn't
0: it? Well, that's the problem. No. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, Campbelltown was a thriving area. There was thirty-two distilleries at one point, a mine, mm. a shipyard, a thriving fishing industry, an RAF yeah. base, and now all of these things. have got there's only there's three distilleries left, and that's mm. about it. All the rest have gone. Uh, yeah, modern so distilleries don't employ nearly as
1: many men as they used to.
0: No. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah it, it's, that's absolutely true. It's a lot of, although at in, in, in Springbank, where I, where I was, um, still, it's still done quite traditionally. Um, Mechanisation hasn't, or computerisation hasn't reached its zenith there as it has elsewhere. Uh-huh. Um, but it's still, it's nowhere near as labour intensive as it, as it once was as an industry. Anyway, well, do you ever listen to the Two Johns show on Argyle FM? You'd love that.
1: I, I don't, um, I, I mean, I, I have so little time to, I, I have to confess, I don't often listen to many podcasts either, um, which is a terrible thing to say as I'm speaking no. on one. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of books no. when I'm about, out and
0: about the farm. I do myself, um, yes. I, that's the only way I get to read books these days, I think, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just so busy. I think that's a great um, irony about writing, the more, the, the more you write, the less time you have to read, which is the, why you started writing in the first place.
1: Yeah, and then... And you know, if, you, if you're at all successful at writing, publishers send you books oh, yes. um, that they think that you'll like. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I spent sort of many years trying to persuade publishers that actually, whilst I write crime fiction, I'd much rather <clears than> they <throat> send me fantasy and science fiction books. <laughs> yeah. the, the message is slowly getting through. I've, I've had
0: one or two recently. I've, I've got Adrian Tchaikovsky's new one, oh, which i re- him. really enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, for a long time I was getting
1: lots and lots of, of, of crime fiction. And, 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 you know, some of it's really good and some of it's not quite so good. But so it's not my go-to read. And if I'm writing a lot of crime fiction, I don't necessarily want to be reading it at no, the same time. That's exactly um,
0: why I say, I say that every festival I speak at. and they, who's your, Who are your favourite crime authors? And I say, well, not really, I don't really have any because I don't read a lot of it. Uh-huh. And then Douglas Skelton sitting <laughs> beside me looks all miffed. Uh, and Michael Malone looks as though he's going to jump off his stage, and I am getting daggers from from Sandra or from Lynn, or you know. <laughs> but but it's a fact. I, 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 as I said earlier, I didn't ever read much crime fiction, but I do enjoy what I read. I, I like the Scandies. I like Scott. A lot of Scottish stuff, um, and I think there is some there's some great crime fiction from around the world. It's just getting the time, as you say.
1: Yeah, I mean there is so much. That's the problem, it, it, if you, if that, I, because I can remember when I, you know, the first year I went to Harrogate, the Harrogate Crime Writing Festival, and I mm. met loads of people, and I, I hadn't even started writing crime fiction mm. then. I wasn't. I was. I was sort of dabbling with a couple of short stories and stuff, um, and I met all these people, and they were so knowledgeable about the. You know, they were going on about all these. Historical crime, uh, well, uh, crime fiction authors of old—not historical crime, but but um, crime fiction authors from history, as it were—and really? and and I just, you know. I don't even know this much about fantasy which I've been reading and writing all my life so I've got no chance, I, I'm, I'm a fraud and it's the whole thing, I mean authors always think that they're frauds and they're just waiting to be found out, Absolutely. Um, the um, imposter syndrome weighs heavy
0: uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. But, but
1: I felt particularly much an imposter at, at Harrogate the, the first couple of years I was there uh, but they were so nice, everyone was so nice and welcoming anyway um, yes. it kind of kept me coming back.
0: I think, I think that there is that, I think every author must be, same as that every writer thinks their books are rubbish you know i I read a book of mine and i I finish a book writing it and i think oh no this is rubbish and then it goes to my editor and it goes to my publisher and it goes to major and they say oh this is really really i loved it oh brilliant i think oh that's nice and i still i'm still riven but with doubts about the whole thing are you the same
1: absolutely i always find there's a there's a point i start off obviously i've got a new idea it's all shiny and and exciting and i start writing i get maybe 20 or thirty thousand words in and i suddenly think this is shit they're going (laughs) to take away my writing my writing certificate i'm a fraud i can't do this but because i've
0: written so many books now you've got a certificate so th- this one coming out soon is my seventeenth published novel. Yes. There's, you know, there's a drawer of probably
1: a dozen or so unpublished novels as well. So
0: grief, and,
1: and, and every, but yeah, well, I'm very old and I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, but um, you know, there's there's um, every single one. You get to a point and you think this is rubbish. Um, and I know so many, you know. Want to be authors who mm. hit that point and give up, or they go back to the beginning and rewrite. And I think that I don't know whether it's just my natural cussedness, or or someone gave me some advice at just the right time, and I actually took it. Um, but I pushed through that the first couple of times I hit it
0: and got yes. to the
1: end and realised that okay, maybe the book wasn't quite as shiny as it had been in my imagination before I started, but there was some merit to it. Yeah. Um, And that's the thing. I think when I I, I get really worried, if I get sort of 30, 40, 50,000 words into a book and I'm thinking, this is brilliant, this is the best thing I've ever written, then I know it's time to tear it up and start again. I
0: think you're probably right. I think that's, I think Uh, I shall, if I ever get to that stage, I will follow your advice. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, I'll just struggle on thinking, waking up, no, as usual. Now, you move. I
1: think it's it's, it's perfectly natural to, to, you know, to doubt yourself. And if you don't. You start to you know, to make mistakes. You just got to look at some of our politicians.
0: Well, we don't do we're not, not we don't, about politics. We don't uh, do politics like, in space because Douglas says we're not allowed. Uh, D- Douglas, so we, he's, not, he's gone to Spain now, has not he? Yeah, he's going to Spain. But I mean, he, don't think for a second he won't be I'm looking at this with a beady ear. Um, because, uh, because he's omnipotent. Everywhere you go, have you noticed that, James? It's
1: true, actually. You can't, you know, uh, you know, open a cupboard door and there's Douglas Skelton lurking.
0: Yeah, every, every, yeah. everywhere you go, you go to a bookshop. Yeah. There's Douglas Skelton, at festival. He's just omnipotent. No, I can't
1: be rude to Douglas because he's interviewing me at um, uh, and Newton Mans at the um, for
0: the for the new book. One of my favourite um, venues. Yeah, in the Primavera Prima Bistro, whatever it's called. It is indeed. It. Yeah, many yeah. times I've enjoyed that, and I, yeah. you always get a great crowd. Yeah,
1: they're a great crowd, and got, they've got that haunted children's ride thing beside it, which just randomly starts up even though it's not plugged in. Um, yeah. When you're talking about ghost stories, I thought that was du- I
0: thought that was Douglas <laughs> that did that. And in fact, I'm convinced it is. Um, and t- talking of, of books, you you moved seamlessly from writing about a male Edinburgh detective to writing the Constance Fairchild novels how on earth did you uh, manage to do that so so easily
1: I, I wouldn't say that it was easy if I'm if I'm if I've pulled it off successfully and people think it's easy then I'm very pleased but it was a it was quite a change um, and but I wanted to do something I, you know, I I moved publisher for one thing. I, I, I left Penguin after thirteen books with them in five years, which was enough
0: for anyone. Yes, yes.
1: Um, and, and moved to to a new imprint at Headline Wildfire. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they they did said that they wanted to do more McLean books, but they also wanted to do launch a new series. And I I was sort of scratching around for for some of my old ideas and new ideas and things, and I I came up with this idea of a. A female private investigator mm-hmm. who was who 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 was called Constance was, but was a bit inconstant. So it was a little joke <laughs> and pun on the name. Um, and when I pitched that to them, it was like, no, there's no there's no market for for um, PI novels. Um, I didn't say, well, you know, and Strike, but um, yes, anyway, uh, absolutely, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, but they, they they weren't very impressed with the pitch. But I I still liked the character, and um, so I went away and thought, well. What else could I do um, with her?
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I came up with an idea that, uh, okay, if she wasn't a private eye to start with, maybe she would become one later. But a lot of private investigators start off in the police. So I could write the story of how a police officer cocked up so badly she had to leave and became a private investigator.
0: Okay, and that's kind of how I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book actually ended
1: up, um, she developed as a character as I wrote that book, the first book, um, uh, no, T- um, no Time to Cry. Yeah. And, um, and I, I was just kind of finding out about her as I went along, um, and just thinking, they're doing what what authors do, you know, you put yourself in somebody else's mind and try to work out why they're doing the things they do. It just happens that, you know, she was female rather than male.
0: Yes, uh-huh, I know what you mean. I I think that's a very brave move to write Douglas has done it and you've done it written from the perspective of a female. Um obviously I have female characters in my books and from and from whom whose perspective I have to write from time to time. Uh but I think to make your main character um, female is a, is a really brave, brave one and I, yeah. I applaud you for it.
1: Uh, that, this is one, Thunder, The Thunder Bay I read just recently and very, very much enjoyed, he did it very well. <clears throat> the, the interesting thing I found when I I'd done all my sort of, I don't do much plotting but I'd done quite a lot of thinking about what I was going to do with the first Constance Fairchild book and I sat down to write it and it came out in the first person and I think writing it from the first person point of view Forced me to really go into Constance's head and, and think about how she was reacting to the world, which was different to the way that I would react to the world, um, mm. and just gave me that, got me that little bit closer um, to it. I think if I if I it in, in the third person, like the, the McLean books are, yes. um, I might not have carried
0: it off quite so well. And also, I mean, it's a handy <laughs> handy way to differentiate it between the, the McLean books because people can't say, "Oh, this just this, this just sounds like McLean." Uh, in, in, with, a, with a, a skirt on, you know. Um, there are
1: quite, I sometimes worry about that because, there, I mean, they, they there are some similarities between them um, as characters. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think keeping one in the third person and one in the first helps.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, I agree with you. I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm Writing a new series at the moment, based in Paisley, a gangster, a gangster series. Gangsters in Paisley, surely not. No, it was a shock to me as well. Um, I hope people just don't find it too fanciful. Um, <laughs> but, but we'll see how that works out. I should finish it, finish it soon, and I'll, I'll, I'll find out exactly what people think. But uh, I've done it still in the third person, and it was, and I toyed with the idea of doing it in the first person. I thought, well you know exposition it's hard I mean it's harder to it's harder to carry a story in the first person there's no doubt because you know you can only see it through the eyes of your protagonist mm-hmm. and there's lots of stuff happening off screen that you're going to have to you know get get round in a different way and I know you've done so in an ingenious way, way with Constance Fairchild and and um and how many bo- those books have you written now James? Or published?
1: There's, there's two of those um um, yeah, the other, the second one came out uh, last year. Um, I've I've got a sort of vague idea of another one to write, um, and I would, you know, it's, it could be an ongoing series. But I'm
0: I'm working mm.
1: away at something else at the moment, and I've got another Inspector mm. McLean book lined up. Okay. Um, for because um, they they want more. The publishers are insatiable. More McLean. More. Yes. So I quite like to. Have, no, no. More McLean. Can I just do no more McLean? And, and they yeah, send me into the corner thing. and they don't let me let me out until I've written another
0: McLean book for them. Yes, I often, um, I often feel that daly has got me by the throat <laughs> uh-huh, and he's never going to let go ever. Um, I think that's what happened to Conan Doyle, isn't it, with Sherlock Holmes? He eventually yeah. just drove him mad, and then he even get then he couldn't get rid of him. He, it came back to Haunt them. Uh that and that's the main thing. So your latest <coughs> Maclean book, pardon me, is bury them deep, and I know for a fact that it's predicated upon or or begins with a a a great um, figure from Scottish lore. Can you tell me a wee bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it plays around with the story of Sawney Bean, um, which um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm hoping yeah, most of your listeners will know the story of Sawney Bean, the, the the famous Scottish fictitious Scottish cannibal. Yes. Uh, and uh, but it, it it kind of. It's one of these weird things. I, I I start always start books with very little idea of where they're going to go. And um, this one came out of a Twitter conversation. Oh. Um, one of my one of my Twitter friends, um, Anna Mazola, um, mentioned Sony Bean because she she does writes quite a lot of sort of historical crime stuff with a, a little bit of sort of creepiness in. Um, she's a wonderful writer, and, and we were just talking about Sony oh, Bean. It. And then somebody else, and I can't remember who it was, um, was having a, a parallel conversation about. Dogging.
0: Um, okay, uh, you've got uh, some strange uh, sort of friends.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, of course, my brain puts the two together and thinks, you know, dogging and cannibals, uh, and then immediately goes to, to to the woods just to the south of Edinburgh and thinks, um, yeah, we can, we can. There's a story in there somewhere. <laughs> um, but the more I read about the story of Sony Bean, uh, I mean, obviously, <coughs> it's it's not true, um, and there was no cannibal, and it, the, the details of the story are. are, are are very vague, so they yes. talk about King James, but they never they never say which King James. So that you know, it could be, be, it could it be been so been. 150 years difference yeah. between when the, when the story happened. There's no <laughs> no cr- criminal records or anything um, of, of anything similar happening, and that, I think that the, the the main idea is that it was a it's either just been written as a horror story in the way that we like to write horror stories to scare children and whatever, oh. or it was written by. Um,
0: someone in England as a sort of propaganda piece against the rough Scots of the time. A bit like Robinson Crusoe, not? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not the guy, guy, guy yeah. outdoors, Daniel Defoe. He was a spy, notoriously mm-hmm. in Edinburgh for many years um, on behalf of the English government. Now, yeah, I mean, it sounds a fascinating um, concept, and to, and it's really interesting to bring even a mythical historical character mm-hmm. into your into your current day day books. Uh, and and do you feel, do, are you at the stage now with McLean that um, you find ideas coming easily or does it get more and more difficult? Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm always a bit weird
1: with, with ideas because I tend to sort of, <laughs> It's, it's more of you know, a very simple idea and then I just kind of start asking questions about it and, and I, quite often I'll, I, I'll write my books with very little plan and certainly no idea how it's going to end when I start and um, and so it's, it's kind of a, a process of... of of discovery for me as much as it is for, for Tony McLean. I kind of <laughs> come up with a crime, you know, an interesting crime. I mean, written in Bones, I think, which was the book Seven,
0: yes, um, where it started
1: that. with a body high up in a tree on the meadows in Edinburgh. Yes. And, 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 um, I had no idea who this person... I wrote this scene of a person falling through the sky, sort of waking from a drug-induced stupor as they fall through the sky, and the last few thoughts going through their heads as they land in this tree. I had no idea who this person was, <laughs> why they were falling out of the sky, how they would got into the sky in the first yeah. place, or anything, and, it, and, and and neither did Tony McLean, so it was great fun just kind of finding out what was going on and throwing all things into the mix. Yeah. And, and I do... Get terrified that I'm gonna, I'm gonna just push it too far at some point. I'm gonna go off on a tangent with some completely mad idea and hit a wall, and there's just going to be no way of wrapping it up. Um, but it
0: hasn't happened <laughs> oh, no. yet. No, <laughs> I and, with the next one uh, the one that I'm just about <laughs> to start writing. <laughs> I mean, how, how long does it take you to write a McLean novel? Now, I mean, the
1: first draft take probably takes me about three months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, and and but the first drafts are pretty rough. Um, they, they sometimes don't make a lot of sense because I'll, you know if I get halfway through and I think that something different needs to have happened, in, in uh, I won't go back and change anything. But I'll just make little notes and then carry on writing as if as if that had, that different thing had happened. And then I'll, only when I go back to the to, to, you know the redraft. R- rewrite the bits at the beginning. So, to, to yeah. if you were to actually uh, pick up one of my perfect first drafts, as it were, um, you know, half the characters would change gender halfway through, and, and things Hems
0: like that. And things. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you. I think you're a bit. I mean, the, I know writers that have, have post-it notes all over their windows and doors, and whiteboards, and, and various other things um, scattered about. With, I mean, I don't. Uh, do you have any of that? I've got a whiteboard on my desk which I scribble
1: things on and then ignore. Um, And the other thing, for every book, I I open up a, a Word file. Or, and I, it's invariably called Thinking With My Fingers and I just type stuff, there's a stream of consciousness stuff into it yeah, um, yeah, but again I rarely go back to it and sometimes I do I, I, I go back to it to, to, to remind myself of something and I see a whole thread that I've completely forgotten about which would have been much better than the one I ended up writing and I'm usually too lazy to go back and change it um, <laughs> or, or in too much of a hurry um, so yeah I, I, I take notes um more to sort of cement them in my brain, rather than, than for reference to later. I'm certainly not one of these people who makes spreadsheets of the chapters and structure oh, no, and everything. Yeah. I um, just couldn't do um, that. I, yeah. I, I, I can't be doing with that. I mean, I'm always in too much of a hurry to find out what's going to happen next. Yes, um, um, I just th- sort to of write the stuff to see what happens.
0: I've always thought that you must lose yeah. a wee bit of spontaneity when you do things like that because mm. you know I mean. If you're going to write to a really strict scheduler you've got it in a spreadsheet. You know, I mean, goodness gracious, you're really trammelled, aren't you? I mean and how if you have that personality, how willing are you to deviate from it?
1: Yeah, well, I did that um, I, There's a, a, an unpublished and unpublishable science fiction novel I wrote years ago. And I, I treated because I, I, I'd written a couple of seat of your pants books and they'd been really hard work to write. So I thought, well, I'm going to really I'm going to plot this one out like I used to plot comics, because when you do a comic, you've got to write the story first. And then work out how to fit it into the panels and everything and sort of rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. So so I I built a plan for this novel. Hmm. Um, every single chapter, all the scenes laid out one after the other, exactly how everything would pl- fit together. All the characters, the little backstories, biographies and everything. I sat down to start writing it. And by the time I got to the end of the first scene, I'd introduced an entirely new character who was became central to a completely different plot. Mm-hmm. So all of that planning that I'd done basically went out the window as soon as <laughs> mm-hmm. I started writing. Um, it was quite useful in some ways because it had helped me cement the characteristics of the various people yeah. uh, and, and the setting where the, where the book was happening and everything. But um, I've I've never tried to plot. No. Particularly. Um, no. You know, I... between, not since then, not even the fantasy books, which uh, you know, I kind of launched into them with no great idea where, where the end was going to be, um, which was a bit of a problem when I uh, finally, when the publisher came along, I wanted to publish them. Apart from the fact that it was 10 years between finishing writing book three and starting writing book four, mm-hmm. so I had to try and remind myself <laughs> what was going on. I also had said to my publisher, you know, there'll be five books in the series, and um, and I, I didn't really feel like then turning up a, a couple of years later and saying, "Well, actually, you know, I said there was going to be five; might be a sixth one. Um, so I'll keep that for the you know the, the sequel to the series and do yeah. something else again later."
0: I think I think you you've hit the nail in the head. I mean, I, I was going to start off writing historical fiction, and I that was going to be my first ever book it was going to be a, a historical fiction novel. Uh, and then I thought, well, to do this justice, you're going to have to do a hell of a lot of research and make sure it's absolutely bang on or you get pulled to pieces. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, I'll do all this research, which will take me, goodness knows how long, and then I'll find out I don't have the discipline to write a book. Uh, and, and I think that one thing that gets easier as time goes by being a writer is that you can, it's easier for you to envisage writing a book.
1: Yeah, that, I think that's the first very true. I, I know that I can I can write 100,000 words. No one might want to read them, but I know I can do it.
0: Yes, and, I, and I'd and and often tell that to people who, you know, when you speak to people at libraries who are maybe starting their own writing off and thinking about writing about it, and they say, oh, it's an impossible task, how can you ever get there? And you say, well, you'll be amazed if you sit down and write 1,500, 2,000 words a day, you'll be amazed how those pile up. Um, and soon become a semblance of a novel which you can then mould and edit into something that's that's better, you know?
1: Well, that's the thing that I was just saying before about hitting that 30,000-word wall and thinking, this is rubbish. And, (laughs) and, And so many new writers I know... Go, you know, they stop then and go back and, and rewrite, and they never get to the end. And the, the piece of advice that I always give to any anyone who asks is finish the first draft. The first first draft doesn't have to be good; it has to be done because um, you can't edit half a manuscript. No. Um, so yeah, and that's that's you know knowing having written you know, many, many books, that it is possible. You can get 100, 120, 220,000 in the case of one of the Ben Pro books. Good grief. Words, words written. Um, yeah, you, you know that you can do that. You can physically do that. It just takes time. Um, yeah. That was that was the thing I found, actually. was That was book three, the original version of book three, and I, I was right. I was still living in Wales when I wrote that. And I would, I'd go upstairs in the evening and write for a few hours before bedtime. And I couldn't work out why this book was taking so long. <laughs> and it was like uh, this. It's like pulling teeth. This book is never going to end. And then I did a word count. For, oh, that's why. It's twice as long as the last one. <laughs> so I'd actually written two books.
0: <laughs> well, of course, these days it mean, you have um, writers throwing books out at forty-five, fifty thousand words.
1: Well, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Either. No. Uh, you know, the, the, you look at you know George Seaman. All the Megaro books are only about twenty thousand or something, so one no wonder yeah. he wrote hundreds of them. Indeed, uh-huh. um, and and you know, all, all the old pulp fiction books, they they never rarely broke fifty thousand words, and 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 they're they're perfect because they're that you can read them relatively quickly and and and, and just enjoy the story and not worry about it. I, I get a little bit frustrated that, um, you know, I deliver a 120,000, 130,000-word book, and, and and people say it's a bit short. I know, so yeah. No, no, you just read it really quickly. <laughs> or,
0: or, 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 or the, the, the famous, um, right, when, you know, the day after you've published the the, the latest one, when's the next one coming out? Mm. Um, as though it's just a process, and I'll yeah. be, next week. I'll I have another
1: it's, it's a huge compliment, actually, if someone devours your book um, in you know overnight or in one in one reading and, and loved it and everything, and is really sure. hungry for the next one. But you know, could you not just chew your food a little before swallowing? Well,
0: <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, absolutely. Or as, that, as I say, try somebody else. Try yeah. some, there's so many good books out there. Try. A Douglas Skelton, or a Michael Malone, or a Neil Broadfoot, or a you know, or, or yeah. Theresa Talbot, or all the people that perhaps you know are the go-to writers um, on the shelf these days, but you know are, are are writing really really good books, and and should be you know people should be reading them. I think people do,
1: but yeah, you know, the, it's the, it's always the. the the way they they come at you and say, uh, when's the next one I have I can't wait a whole year. Say, so, "Well, don't wait a whole year. You know, read three hundred and sixty-four other books."
0: Yeah. Absolutely, um. yeah. Keep writers in the business. So, to to go go alongside, bury them deep. You will be partaking in a great deal of publicity and festivals and bookshops tours. What what have you got coming up, uh, James? Just briefly.
1: Um, I've got my my um, publisher in. Well, my publicist, in, in, in her infinite wisdom, decided that because there was um, 10 books, it was the 10th book, mm-hmm. uh, do 10 events. So uh, um, wow. it's the, yeah, it has a kind of symmetry to it. Um, so I'm starting off in um, in waterton's Newton Minns with, with Douglas on the 17th of February. Right. Uh, and then basically for the whole of that week and the whole of the next week, I've got a, a whole load of events lined up. So I'm Street in Glasgow, Toppings in St Andrews and Edinburgh, um, Watson's Kirkcaldy. I seem to be mm-hmm. doing an awful lot of events with that Neil Broadfoot fellow. Um, oh, he's very good. Which, uh, he, he, he's great. He's a very good writer, too. Um, but uh, he's going to be sick of Isn't the sight of me after. <laughs>
0: and, no, um, no. He, he never yeah. gets. He came to do my launch with me in Campbelltown, along with Douglas mm-hmm. and Neil. And and Sandra Ireland last last summer, and 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 they were all, just you know, and the Campbelltown people welcomed them with open arms. Though looked with puzzlement at each other, saying, "I've never seen so many writers in the one place at the one time." Uh,
1: no, but, I I, I, was, I had hoped to get to Campbelltown, but I, just getting away from the farm at certain times of the year is is not easy. Um, yes. Well, one of these days, one of these days I'll get down to. Campbelltown. Well, if you
0: if you if you I don't you're not on Facebook now, are you? No, I'm only on the
1: Twitter. I had to. I, I just couldn't cope with with so much social media. Yes, um, I, it, I would actually give it all up entirely. But mm. um, I think you know my readers would probably um, throttle me because they they couldn't have daily pictures of cows.
0: Um, and we all look forward to those. Uh, I, I, I my day does not begin until I say here morning coos. It's a, it's it's a good it's good and I think that's a really weird way to keep an interest in your your Twitter account. It's, you it's I
1: think there's this conversation that goes around um, that you know social media doesn't sell books. I don't think it does particularly sell books, but it does keep people aware that you exist, and it gives you know it, it gives people an idea of you know the writer's life. It, it, it's I'm not just James Oswald in. Um, writer of the Inspector McLean books or the Subenfro books or whatever. Yes. You know, I'm a farmer, I've got a farm, I've got some strange dogs, I, I, I occasionally like taking photographs of snails, uh, yeah, all those sort of stuff and, and I, I quite like social media for that and, and, and the ease with which you know, someone can ask me a question. And it might take me a day or two to answer but I can just answer. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I like you know, maintaining that kind of relationship with, with your readership.
0: Excellent stuff. James, well, I'm being bleeped by my, my device here, but telling me that we're reaching the end of our recording time. Um, unfortunately, we're only allowed an hour here on Anchor FM. But it's been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you, and I'm sure your readers and those who've maybe not read you yet in your various forms will look forward to listening to this and reading Bury Them Deep coming out soon. Uh, or is it out now?
1: of February it's out Um, so three weeks time, three weeks today
0: three weeks today Um, from Wildfire yeah Yeah. Uh, James Oswald thank you so much you've been listening to Spooks which is a Houses of Steel production Uh, please subscribe to your podcast of choice and we'll see you soon, goodbye